Very good, very good. Wow. It's good to be able to just connect again and feel like there's a sense of belonging and understanding one another together. Um, just before we jump into the next part, I just want to mention Men on Mondays. We have this Schwarzer, the, the Ox otherwise known. Um, Ian Bunsen's been running a Connect group really on a Monday morning at 8am with the Zoom community of blokes. Some from New Community, many now coming from outside New Community. Tomorrow morning we are hearing the story because Ian believes that everyone has a story to tell. Blokes telling blokes stories and so we've got that uh, Dave Schwartz coming along next Melbourne Football player, and if you would like to join in, or if you have a friend to bring along, take down that mobile number right now, um, from wherever you're watching, and then text your email, and he's going to send you an invite. And next week, uh, for anyone who can remember Strictly Ballroom, remember, for the older people in the room here, uh, Paul Mercurio is going to be in here next week, and then after that, I think he's got Adele, and then uh, <laughs> he's got all these different people that are lining up, so Ian, the pressure's on, well done, good job, that's for the, the men on Mondays as well. How about we pause for a moment? I'm just going to pray and ask that God might continue to use the things that he's already speaking to us about this morning. So God, I just want to pray, Father, that you might speak to us, continue to speak to us, both from the time where we pause, worship and understand what that is, to hearing people's stories about coming alongside and the benefit and the beauty of a friendship, we ask that you might continue to speak to us Raise up this theme among us around about alongside us for this year that it might penetrate powerfully in our minds and our hearts and most profoundly shape our lives and other people's lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastoral team before Christmas started to gather together and to talk about what would our theme be for next year. Given the dislocation and the displacement that we all felt and were feeling and still do to some degree, we started to pray and talk. And what we came up with this idea, this word alongside us. But it's not our word. It's a, it's a Kiwi's word by the name of Mick Duncan. Steve and I had been to hear him speak about the power of an alongsider. And this is how he defines it. An alongsider is someone who intentionally comes alongside another for the purpose of being with them so that life might be better than if they were going it alone. There's power in someone coming alongside. In fact, Mick had experienced that in his own life, someone coming alongside him. The first question that they asked, or at least the person asked of him or for him, was this. How would it be if all of the doors of my life were open to you? It's a powerful question. Can you imagine opening yourself up to someone else and saying, would you like to come in and step into the doors of my life? So he did. McDuncan stepped in, the story goes. And he spent time with this other person who'd come alongside. So much so that after a period of time, that person then asked a second question. And the question was this. How would it be if everywhere I go, you come with me? And that began a continued journey and story and relationship that profoundly shaped Mick Duncan such to the extent that he's written books about it and he talks about the power of coming alongside another. I wonder if you could think of someone today who's come alongside you over the years that's had a profoundly positive influence in your life. It was a gift, wasn't it? 25 years ago when I was probably at the lowest ebb in my sense of self-confidence or ministry and work life, I met a gentleman by the name of Norman Pell. Norman Pell was someone who drew alongside me without asking those two direct questions. Effectively, he became an alongsider. 
Norman's right now in a palliative care unit in Monterno, and we don't know how much longer he'll be with us. But 25 years ago, we began to dream and think about what could a church community space look like where people who have had no experience of Jesus and church life could connect in. What would it look like if we shaped the community and involved ourselves in engaged activities that would shape the community around us for God's kingdom good so that other people would look at Jesus and go, I'd like to know a little bit more about him. And so gave birth to new community. At that season and that time and that juncture in my life to have someone like Norman come along was a gift. There's power in coming alongside another. And those simple questions, those simple profound questions are still important today. What would it be if all the doors of my life were open to you and someone stepped into them? So over this next little season, what we're going to do building up to Easter time is talk about, if you like, what does a good alongsider look like and do? Such that we would love it that God would breathe his life into this idea so over the course of the next year that it might drill down into our lives so that we might have incidental conversations alongside, we might drill down into deeper ones, such that our goal is this, that everyone here at New Community has an alongside, or at least the opportunity to have someone come alongside. Maybe you'd say, I'd like someone to come alongside me. Maybe you'd say, I'd like to come alongside someone else. Our challenge is, over the course of the next 12 months, that we might be the kind of community that would come alongside for the good of each other and for those that we're yet to meet. And so what we thought we'd do over these next number of weeks is lean in and look into what we think is the person is for the exemplar when it comes to an alongsider. Yeah, I know, it's the Son of God, the Saviour of the world. No one can sort of beat that benchmark, but if there's something that gives us an aim, a direction to look at, we thought we would lean in and look into the life of Jesus, observe his heart, observe his habits, observe him, and discover what would it mean like to be an alongsider for other people. And so that's what I thought we'd do this morning. Just look into three little snapshots of Jesus' life that would set the scene for this whole idea of alongsiding. If you have a Bible with me, I'd invite you to grab it, bring one along. If you have one, or if you uh, want to follow us on one of the apps, please do. You can download this version, and you can just follow along with this, and you can discover it for yourself. The first snapshot of Jesus' life comes from John chapter 1, the very first book of John, someone who, who knew Jesus and wrote about him. And this is what he says. Is describing John the Baptist, which is Jesus' cousin. It gets kind of confusing, but this is how it goes. First snapshot. The following day, John the Baptist was again standing there with two of his disciples. He saw Jesus walking by and said, Look, there goes God's Lamb. That is the Lamb of God who is going to do something for you that you cannot do for yourself. He's going to die for you and he's going to rise again. He's going to allow you to be washed clean made right with God. He's going to forgive sin, break its power. He's going to breathe new life into creation and new life into you. He's the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and so they followed Jesus. It goes on, John chapter 1, 38 and 39. Jesus then turned and saw them following him. And I like this, without any coercion, without any pushing or shoving, he just asks a simple question. What do you want? Rabbi or rabbi, they said, the word means teacher, where are you staying? And so Jesus simply postures himself again and he says, come and see. So they came, they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that entire, my word, 
day. See, something when you lean into the life of Jesus, when you observe his pattern, is you'd have to agree with me that Jesus was available. I believe a good alongsider is someone who is available to others. In fact, Jesus seemed to organize his time around the idea of being available to others, even when it might press all of your buttons and my buttons together. You see, there's another story where he's actually moving towards someone whose daughter is sufficiently ill and she's dying. The person's name is Jairus. He's the leader of a synagogue, one of the gospel writers tells us. And he's come desperately to Jesus and he's asked him to come and help save his daughter. He's heard that Jesus is like a faith healer. God's acting miraculously through his life. And so desperately, his 12-year-old daughter is dying and Jairus comes and finds Jesus and is dragging him to his home. Well, the writer of that story then goes on to describe that in the midst of Jesus walking through towards Jairus' home, there's another person, a nameless woman, who is also desperate. And so what she does is that she reaches out to Jesus, wanting to touch his robe because she has been medically ill for many years. She has an internal bleeding situation that she spent every last penny on every physician to try and heal her to no avail. In fact, things have got worse. So desperately, she reaches out. And at the time in which she touches his robe, Jesus senses power going out of him. And he pauses. He pauses to see what's happened. Now picture yourself in Jairus' situation for a moment. Your daughter's dying and you are desperately in need of. How are you feeling? I mean, wouldn't you want to just drag this prophet, this person, Jesus. But Jesus inserts a pause. He seems to allocate his time sufficiently, such that he attends to the woman and eventually saves the young girl's life. But that is so different to our busyness, isn't it, of our own lives? I remember as a parent, very early on, one of my children was walking behind me as I was walking home. And I visibly remember the day where I was trudging along, calling out, hurry up, like this. To such to the frustration of the child that they called back to me, Dad, would you slow down? And I remember pausing right there where I was and inserting and reframing my time. I paused and I turned around and I attended. I had to learn to become available. Jesus seemed to be the kind of person that was available. You see, I think an alongsider has this gift of being able to reframe their time such that they insert a pause to be available to others. First snapshot. (coughs) Second snapshot we get of Jesus is taken from Matthew chapter 4. And it reads something like this. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They were fishermen and were casting their nets into the sea. Follow me, said Jesus. Follow me. I'll make you fish for people. Straight away they abandoned their nets and they followed him. Well, he journeys on a little bit further and has a further conversation. He went on further and saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. They were in a boat. Many of their nets were Zebedee, their father. He called them, and once they left the boat, their father, he could be in the family business working for Miss Sprinkles, and then Jesus comes along and says, would you follow me? And Nicole just drops everything she wants, has, and follows Jesus. 
didn't quite work exactly like that. They may have probably had met Jesus beforehand. But Jesus is operating here like a rabbi or a rabbi who's actually conducting and calling and inviting a group of disciples to come and surround him, if you like, to come on the inner sanctum of his life. In fact, what discovered by this is that Jesus was powerfully open. He wasn't someone who just was available to others. Yeah, I've got some time in my schedule. It seems as though he would ask and had operated like that question that Mick Duncan had asked or been asked. What would it be like if I opened all the doors of my life to you? Powerful question, right? And so it seems as though that's what he was inviting them to do. You see, a disciple was someone who was, had entered into a mentoring relationship, someone said, with his disciples, who learned his teachings by heart and followed his example as apprentices. That seems to be what the word disciple means, is that they're a learner. And when Jesus is gathering these groups of people around him, these men and also women in the wider circle of his network, it seems as though he was inviting them into an open mentoring kind of relationship. A disciple, someone says, is someone who is open to change and is actively seeking to learn how to live life to its fullest potential in the kingdom of heaven. See, it seems as though Jesus not only lived an available life, but he lived an open life. I mean, this is so counterintuitive to our world in which we live right now, isn't it? You know how it goes for us when we want to have the doors of our lives open to others? We do something like this. Hey, bro, let's actually go ahead and spend some meaningful time together where we can open the doors of our lives to one another and we can share real conversation. We can maybe share some food together and gee, what's going on in each other's lives? And we look at one another and we say, let's get out our diaries, you know? And let's get out our diaries and what we're going to do is like in three weeks' time, in three weeks' time, maybe we can book between 3 and 4 p.m. on Friday unless something better comes up. You know how it works, right? And we can just lock that time in for us to be really deep and we can connect in with one another. And is that the kind of world in which we operate in? Yeah. But Jesus living in his world, his different circumstances seemed to operate differently. In fact, he was open. Open to allow other people in. I wonder how that might challenge us. Mind you, Jesus was open, but he wasn't boundless. There's plenty of times where the gospel writers, I record Jesus being so overwhelmed with people that they didn't have time to eat. So he would routinely know that he needed to recharge his batteries. So he would head out into the wilderness such that his followers would need to go literally hunting for him. They would find him and they'd say, what are you doing? And you kind of had this idea that Jesus was needing time alone to recharge with his father and also to recharge just himself. There's one funny incident that Matthew records. Jesus gets into a boat and you sense it's one of those recharging moments because he's in a boat, he says, and it looks as though he's by himself and he starts rowing across the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> You're supposed to chuckle at this a little bit because Matthew describes that people see him. And so what they do is they start to, to walk and follow him around the edge of the lake. So you have this little scenario building where Jesus, you could see him rowing a little bit faster and the people walking faster. I mean, this is the stuff of Monty Python, right? And so he's rowing faster and faster and the people are walking faster and faster and he's rowing faster and they're walking faster until he gets to the other side and they're beating him. It says he gets out of the boat and he looks at them desperate. 
And he says, he sees them like a sheep without a shepherd. And so he has compassion on them. You see, it strikes me that Jesus was not only available, he had inserted, if you like, a force. But he was open. Someone put it to me like this. She said, I'm, I'm framing up some margins in my life so that I can actually have other people not only just be available to them, but to go a little bit deeper. I wonder what it would mean for us to add a margin. And then the third snapshot we have is that Jesus invested indiscriminately. He didn't pick and choose the best team, the A team. He just allowed himself to be open to whoever was being prompted to join him. Just look at, if you don't believe me, just look at his 12 disciples. The ones he drew into his inner core. Firstly, you've got two sets of brothers, James and John and Peter and Andrew. Now, if you want a smooth sailing in any of your team, do not get two sets of competitive brothers together. Has anyone here had some, some sets of competitive brothers that you've observed? Right? You do not want two sets of competitive brothers, particularly when one set, James and John, are known maybe favourably as the sons of thunder. <laughs> so they're prickly and loud and demonstrative, right? And then if you dig a little bit deeper, you discover that there's someone called Simon the Zealot. I mean, a zealot is like the antithesis of what Jesus was wanting in his like, life and ministry. A zealot was someone who was committed fervently to overcoming Roman's occupation through a bloodthirsty sword. That is so contradictory to Jesus' message of peace. But Jesus welcomes a zealot in. Jesus also chooses a man who's going to betray him. He's known to dip his hand into the till. His name's Judas. Did he make the right choice? He welcomes someone into his life and opens up the doors for someone who's pilfering the money, it says often, and sells his master out at the end of the day for just some pieces of silver. But I reckon that the groan that would have come the loudest when Jesus was pulling people in to his motley crew came one day when Jesus was walking. Matthew chapter 9, have a look at it. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew. Matthew was sitting at the tax office. Follow me, he said to him. And Matthew followed up to and rose up to follow him. I mean, you could just imagine the audible groan that came from the rest of the, the team when Jesus invited a tax collector, someone who was working for Rome, that were known for taking the, the shirts off their own people's backs in order to make an advantage for themselves. Matthew, the tax collector, was invited. <laughs> groan. And then the story goes on. When he was at home sitting down to a meal, there were lots of tax collectors and sinners there who had come to have dinner with Jesus and his disciples. The story goes on. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus heard them. This is usually sign and code for you don't want Jesus to hear these things because he's about to do something. And so Jesus replies and says this. Isn't it? It isn't the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. So go and learn what this saying means. It's mercy I want and not sacrifice. You see, my job isn't to call the upright people, but sinners. Profound thing I observe about Jesus when I look at his habits and his heart and himself 
is that people who are on the fringes seem to feel incredibly comfortable in his presence. I mean, he didn't sort of say all those things are right and fine, but they didn't feel like they needed to sort themselves out before they came to know him. You get me? I mean, sometimes we feel like, Jesus, I'll sort myself out and then I'll come to know you. And he says, no, no, just, just hang out with me. Which has often made me wonder why this gentleman by the name of Jeff Roberts, who died during Christmas time and was one of the persons who came here and was part of our church family, stuck around. You see, we met Jeff four years ago, five years ago. We were having one of our Christmas functions and someone had parked their car across the driveway to his unit, just like four blocks down. So he came looking for the culprit. I remember the day he stormed into the courtyard. He, he stormed in, in in a fury. Who's parked their car? And then he looked and saw, oh, there's food. <laughs> and that was the start with Jeff. And then he saw that there was this whiteboard. We were saying to people, you could just write a message from the community. And he grabbed his pen and he wrote... Rose Tattoo is the best. <laughs> Angry Anderson rules. Like this across it. He wrote that because they were mates. Angry wrote a, a tribute to him. It was read out in his funeral just last week. Seems as though Jeff passed away. He had different conditions and um, challenges with health. We don't quite know why, but it might have had something to do with his diabetes. And he was found in his unit. But see, I often wonder, well, why did Jeff stick around? Was it because he felt like that there was a place here where people had kind of made room? I mean, woe betide you if you stood in his or sat in his chair <laughs> and you were visiting here and you didn't know. You see, what you didn't know is that someone else had been getting extra milk for him every week. He loved his milk. So someone would just come and they'd make a space over here and get his milk. And so he would go out to get his extra litre or two of milk. And then if you sat in his chair, which was usually draped with a Collingwood banner or something like that, woe betide you, you would have coughed it, right? When he first came in, Jeff would hug his ears when it came to the worship songs. But then over the years, he would join us at 9.30 here for a prayer space beforehand. And when he prayed, he'd pray for his family. And he'd pray for the world. And in his own way, he'd pray for you. In his own way. And I kind of felt like the test of a community of Jesus followers is not that we create or people create this holy huddle, but it's the kind of place where people might call home. Where other people have learned that the, the, the skill that Jesus had is to suspend judgment and live with ambiguity. You see, we love all the loose ends tied up. Don't we? So easy to judge other people. But when you looked past some of the exterior, if you, and it's hard, it was hard at times, you discover that there was someone else in a softness and an openness and a desire and hunger for friendship. He made friends everywhere. When you learn about his background and his funeral, about where he was raised and how that filled in some pictures. But I still remember the day right there where Norman had a fainting episode. And we all cleared the deck if you were here. Where was Jeff? Well, 
I can't remember quite, but he was standing right next to Norman with either a cup of water or he found a blanket from somewhere. One of those two. They helped me. You see, I kind of figured the test of the community of Jesus followers is can other people come in and feel like judgment is suspended? That loose ends are not all tied up and that's okay. Because that's the role of God and His Spirit and Jesus and the people together. Oh, there were times when I had to have a quiet conversation with Jeff. Sometimes I have to have a quiet conversation with you as well. And me. And there was one time when he stormed off and said, I am never coming back, he said to me. Two weeks later, Jeff was back. I wonder if it's because he felt that even when we might have done this at times, there was still a place called home because other people had opened and been available. Some are, know you, invested deliberately and willingly love them. You see, Jesus had this capacity. He did. To allow people to sit for long periods of time and they felt his love, his love was sent. So I wonder what it would mean for us to embrace this theme of alongside this year. Jesus strikes me as someone who added a pause, added a margin to be available, sorry, added a margin so that other, so that he was open, added a pause because he was available and learned to offer himself indiscriminately to others. And that's how he was going to do his life building and kingdom building to bring a powerful message that shaped the world. So one of my goals this year, I've decided, is to hunt the good. A lot of people were grumpy last year. I was grumpy at least once. <laughs> Easy to judge other people very quickly. Easy. So one of my goals is to hunt the good in people. So easy to see that not good. I wonder how Jesus might be speaking to you today about being an alongsider. Maybe you're remembering someone who came alongside you and you're hearing that call. Pass it on. Why don't you pass it on? out of human effort. I'd like this to be born out of God's inspiration. So we're not going to rush today and say, figure it all out. I'm going to invite you to posture yourself up until Easter to just be open. God speaks to you. And we'll figure out the mess after that. But this week, I want you to think about adding a pause, adding a margin,
Spirit to be listened to you. So we embrace this thing. 